the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A nuclear watchdog group finds damage to a Ukrainian power plant, compounding fears of a potential nuclear emergency. The shelling in and around this plant to stop uh, because it inches closer each time to this nuclear disaster. Seattle teachers strike may delay the start of school for 54,000 kids. Their own poll showed that uh, Republicans uh, own the education issue right now. Arizona sees an uptick in migrant crossings even after new deterrents are put in place. The new numbers show an increase in migrant crossings. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, September 7th. I'm Mike Scott. The International Atomic Energy Agency, a U.N. nuclear watchdog, released a report Tuesday stating it's found some damage to one building at the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant, which was housing nuclear fuel and radioactive waste. The report is the first update the international agency has received on Europe's largest nuclear power plant since Russia invaded Ukraine in February. The Ukrainian power plant has been the focus of many international headlines, as it seems to have taken repeated damage caused by shelling in the ongoing war with Russia. The damage has reportedly hit the plant's power lines, which connected to Ukrainian electrical grids and blemished some structural integrity. The IAEA's report goes on to detail several key events that have, quote, significantly compromised, end quote, the plant's seven pillars, which is a standard the IAEA bases for its security guidelines. NBC foreign correspondent Megan Fitzgerald, reporting from Ukraine, says that some shelling has caused great concern, as in one case a fire began in one of the reactors. What we've seen is over the last couple of days, these inspectors from the IAEA have spent uh, days really just assessing the entire plant, um, taking a look and paying close attention to the damage at the facility. The big question here and what we're waiting to find out in this report is just how close is this plant to this nuclear catastrophe? Um, the director general has been very clear. He has clearly said that he needs the shelling in and around this plant to stop uh, because it inches closer each time to this nuclear disaster. But what we've seen is that that's not been the case. Just yesterday, for example, we saw more shelling uh, causing a fire uh, and then, of course, triggering the sixth reactor. Keep in mind, there's only six. The sixth reactor to be pulled from the power grid, um, creating a very concerning situation. Fitzgerald also weighed in on how Russia has suspended a referendum allowing Ukrainians to join Russia due to Ukrainian 
attacks. So we have been hearing for weeks now that Russia is planning what's being called this sham referendum where they'll be holding, um, they'll be allowing Ukrainians in Russian-occupied territory, of course, to vote on whether or not they want to be a part of Russia. Uh, of course, Ukraine is saying that uh, the results would be fixed as the majority of Ukrainians don't want anything to do with Russia. That um, referendum on hold, as we've seen over the last week, the Ukrainians launching this counteroffensive. This week, they're saying that they are being victorious. They're gaining ground on the battlefield, uh, claiming victories in the east of the country, uh, as well as in the south. Uh, because, guys, as you know, this is a race against time for the Ukrainians mm. who are trying to gain back as much ground as they can from the Russians before these winter months set in. Fitzgerald also explains the latest situation on the ground in parts of eastern Ukraine. Yeah, guys, so Kharkiv is a, a location in the east that's uh, seen increased shelling over the last several weeks. Um, it was the site of the deadliest attack that we've seen since July, since mid-July, on the anniversary, the six-month anniversary of the invasion. And just overnight, three more civilians have been killed in that area. We know that civilian uh, buildings and and, and, uh, and family homes have been targeted, uh, and this is just the latest attack as the Russians really grip a good portion of the eastern part of this country. The IAEA was careful to note that while the shelling has not yet triggered a nuclear emergency, the attacks remain a constant threat to nuclear safety and security. China is now locking down 65 million of its citizens in another effort to try and stem the spread of COVID-19 there. It is also discouraging domestic travel during the upcoming holidays. 33 cities across China, including seven provincial capitals, are now under full or partial lockdown. According to reports, China has recorded about 1,550 new cases in the latest 24-hour period across a nation of 1.4 billion. Since the outbreak began, tens of millions of Chinese citizens have been placed under strict lockdowns, sometimes preventing residents from obtaining food, health care, and other basic necessities. Dean Chang is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and joined News Nation, saying that while it's not a good look, there are many politicians in the U.S. that may try to do the same thing here in the fall if there is another outbreak of COVID here. First off, uh, this is typically seen as an internal measure. Let's keep in mind that there are some in our own government who wish that we had that kind of lockdown capacity. Um, even now, uh, you, you know, despite the president's promise to, you know, I'm not going to lock down America, I'm going to lock down the virus, with fears that we may have another fall or winter wave, uh, criticizing the Chinese when you may well see certain states try and push this kind of effort uh, is probably uh, bad policy. And the other thing is that uh, we have a lot of other problems with the Chinese that do seem to rise to the fore. Chang says President Xi's re-election is coming up and America should be using this time to push against China. We are playing reaction ball rather than heads up uh, proactive ball. Um, absolutely. Xi Jinping is facing a party Congress in about four weeks where he's going to be reaffirmed as party general secretary. This should be the time when we are, in fact, pushing hard to say, hey, this is the guy who is going to stay in charge for another five years. Is this really what 
best benefits China. Chang goes on to say that, in his opinion, China doesn't take America seriously because the Biden administration touts climate change as the world's biggest issue. Uh, ironically, some of these uh, oligarchs in China have benefited from the lockdowns. Uh, apparently, one newly minted billionaire is in charge of a lot of financial uh, 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 elements that have to do with medical supplies. But the other thing here to keep in mind is that this administration has also said the most important thing is climate change. John Kerry has openly said, Uyghurs, uh, you know what really matters? Climate change. So if you're going to take that attitude, the Chinese, not surprisingly, are going to say, you're giving us a green light. A more than five-week closure of Shanghai, China's largest city and key financial hub in the spring, upended the economy again prompting protests and leading to an exodus of foreign residents. The Seattle Education Association has authorized a strike by its members Tuesday, the day before classes are set to begin in the Seattle public schools. We had a really difficult decision to make. And believe me, that decision was not taken lightly on whether or not we would authorize a strike because no one wants to strike. It's not something, uh, you know, that people just choose, but SPS has given us no choice because, again, we can't go back to the way things have been. We need to fight for something better. So uh, this morning at 9 a.m., our strike authorization vote did close Members spoke very loudly and clearly. We had 75% of our membership voting. 95% of them voted to authorize a strike. So if a tentative agreement has not been reached before tomorrow, our members, our SEAPs, our office professionals, our paraprofessionals, certificated and substitute staff will be on picket lines in front of their work sites starting as early as 7.30 a.m. tomorrow morning and picketing um, in till our bargaining teams reach a tentative agreement. The strike will begin Wednesday morning, unless the school district and the union reach a collective bargaining agreement prior to then. If an agreement is not reached, classes for the district's nearly 54,000 students will not go on as planned. Natalie Swaby of Seattle King 5 Television explains what these Seattle teachers want. Teachers are talking about their priorities. The union representing teachers is the Seattle Education Association, and they want supports for students in special education and multilingual education. They want workload, caseload, and class sizes to be manageable to prevent educators from getting burnt out. And they say they want respectful, competitive pay. Now, over the holiday weekend, Seattle Public Schools sent families and staff a letter letting them know a delay for the start of school is likely. It also stated that the district did ask the union to consider an agreement called a Memorandum of Understanding that would have guaranteed an on-time start to school while allowing negotiations to continue. Well, the union rejected that proposal, calling it a distraction. The union president says they need the school district to match their sense of urgency and be at the bargaining table. The labor dispute comes after a tumultuous two years for public education caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and government-ordered school closures. 
Recent data reports have indicated students have seen a steep learning loss over the last two years due to school closures. Michael Harney of the Manhattan Institute joined the Salem Radio Network and says new polling shows parents are dissatisfied with the current state of the educational system. The American Federation uh, of Teachers uh, just released a poll <laughs> a few weeks ago, their own poll, where they set out to find out what parents and other citizens think about our current education system. And lo and behold, shockingly, their own poll showed that uh, Republicans uh, own the education issue right now. And not only that, um, parents were the most dissatisfied when it came to how issues about gender identity and race were being taught. And what they said they wanted more of was reading, writing, and arithmetic. So I don't know if this means that the union's going to close up shop on doing polling in the future or what, um, but it wasn't exactly what they expected. And I think you're seeing this all across the country. You're seeing it in states where, like Virginia and like Florida, where governors are saying, listen, Republican governors saying, follow us on these education issues. We will plan our flag. Harney explains how school boards tend to make it hard for parents to take control of their students' education. One thing um, that's, that's in some ways unfortunate is, you know, Republicans uh, historically have always been very pro-local control when it comes to schooling. But unfortunately, one of the things that sort of happened in our sort of evolved system of how we govern America's schools is that we really don't allow for a lot of local, true local control and democracy of education because we do things like hold school board elections, you know, at odd times of the year when 10 percent of the voters turn out and the unions can be counted on to organize their members in those elections elections. And we make it hard for uh, parents uh, to sort of get information, as you were talking about on the lead-in, about what's going on. So, you know, if it were a fair fight, (laughs) I would like the chances of parents and the average voter to do well here. Um, But given some of the hurdles they're facing, uh, it's not not very easy for them to. So you really do have to fall back on executive leadership in the states coming in and sort of helping people out and say, this is what's going on. Follow my lead here. We're going to actually do something about these issues. Harney says that it's unfortunate, but in his opinion, parents have to closely monitor their school boards. I don't begrudge employees wanting to have safety protocols at work, but I don't think labor leaders in American history really had folks like Sarah Chambers uh, of the CTA in mind. Recall this is the uh, a young woman who was in CTA leadership who took off for Puerto Rico uh, after uh, you know months of telling everyone just how unsafe it was for little kids to return to school in Chicago, despite the fact that the Catholic schools right in Chicago had been open since the start of the school year without any calamity. So you know I think parents, uh, you know not all of them. I, I you know I want to suggest that one of the issues here is that parents are busy. You know they, they shouldn't have to monitor their school board like a hawk. To Make sure that the school boards are following the science when the science says kids could go back in school. But unfortunately, that's what we saw happen, is that boards were not. They were following essentially a very cautious model. If you look back, I mean, people are trying to uh, whitewash history here. But schools were one of the last sectors in our society to reopen. Harney says that while it's good to advocate for school choice, an effort needs to be made in giving parents something to choose from.
the American Enterprise Institute had a nice study out recently showing that the districts that remained in fully remote learning, didn't bring the kids back, have experienced larger um, declines in enrollment. So there is some just desserts being paid out <laughs> to places that didn't get their act together. But you're right. It's certainly not enough. And I think one of the things that I would say that I, I – uh, I wish I saw a little bit more of on the school choice side is it's great to pass all sorts of laws across the states. I think school choice, uh, I think the research shows that it's a good thing on the whole, charters and vouchers and all these sort of uh, options for parents. Uh, but it's one thing to pass those choice laws. It's another thing for families to have actually good choices to choose from. Yeah. So I think people in the ed uh, philanthropy sector need to be thinking critically about how do we build supply. It's not just a demand-driven issue. You've got to offer you can offer choices, but if there's something to choose, where are they going to go? Meantime, students in Uvalde, Texas, went back to school for the first time since a gunman killed 19 children and two teachers in a classroom attack that shocked the country. Uvalde parent Michael Martinez, who dropped off his 10-year-old son, one of 11 survivors in the Robb Elementary School classroom, says no one was really ready for today. I wasn't ready for him to go back to school, but he says he was. She's the one that took him inside because I forgot my ID, so she said when, when he got in the building that he got nervous. Uvalde parent Celeste Ibarra, who dropped her 8- and 9-year-old daughters off for school at the new building housing Uvalde Elementary, says one of her daughters did not want to go back. A 9-year-old usually is happy and excited. I bought her, you know, glitter pencils to kind of excite her, and nothing, nothing excited her. She begged me to stay home. The abandoned laptop that revealed Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings remains an important story, according to voters, many of whom think it could have changed the 2020 election. We get more on this developing story from Daybreak congressional correspondent Bernie Bennett. The latest Rasmussen Report's national telephone and online survey finds that 63 percent of likely U.S. voters believe the story about Hunter Biden's laptop containing emails about his business dealings is important, including 44 percent who think the story is very important. 34 percent don't believe the story is important, including 17 percent who say it's not at all important. These findings are only slightly changed from March. 48 percent of voters say if the media had fully reported the story about Hunter Biden's laptop before the 2020 election, it's unlikely Joe Biden would have been elected president. 46% don't think it's likely the story would have changed the election results. Bernie Bennett reporting. Members of the Lightfoot administration in the city of Chicago have asked the public for volunteers and donations to try and help immigrants being bused to the city from Texas. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has taken busing migrants who are in the country illegally from his state to U.S. cities with Democrat mayors and sanctuary cities part of a strategy to share the influx of people who cross the border into his state. Another busload of 50 immigrants arrived Sunday in Chicago days after the arrival of the first busload of 75. Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, says that busing migrants into her city without any communication from Texas is unacceptable. We have yet to hear from anybody in an official capacity from Texas. That's unacceptable. We're talking about human beings' lives who have themselves gone through an incredible journey just to get to the United States. Governor Greg Abbott's office issued a statement saying Lightfoot should ask President Biden to secure the southern border.
The governor's office issued a response, saying attacking the governor's commitment to his faith is a pathetic political ploy to change the conversation away from the mayor Lightfoot's unwillingness to uphold her city's self-declared sanctuary status. Instead of lowly personal attacks on the governor and complaining about a few dozen migrants being bussed into her sanctuary city, Mayor Lightfoot should call on President Biden to take immediate action to secure the border, something the president continues failing to do. Meanwhile, Arizona has been using shipping containers to close gaps in its border wall. But according to a new report, the structures haven't slowed down migrant crossings. In fact, migrants have seemed to have found their way through using a new path on land the government can't legally use to erect a wall. Allie Bradley of News Nation says the city of Yuma has seen an increase of 281 crossings. Shipping containers lining the Yuma border were supposed to act as a deterrent, but new numbers show an increase in migrant crossings. The week the project was under construction, 5,921 migrants crossed into Yuma, according to Border Patrol numbers. The week following the completion, 6,202 migrants crossed into Yuma. That's an increase of 281 crossings, despite the shipping containers being placed to act as that deterrent. Yuma Mayor Douglas Nichols says he agrees with what the governor is doing and the only way things will change is if the federal government takes action. We need to have a congressional change. We need to have the secretary's office step up and put actual policies in place on the current laws that would uh, discourage and prosecute people who are coming through. Not only are the shipping containers not acting as a deterrent. Bradley goes on to say the shipping containers are funneling migrants into other parts of the city. But they're also pushing people into other parts of the Yuma sector that are struggling to handle the influx. A source with a neighboring station says they are now seeing double the crossings with fewer resources. I am told they don't have capabilities to transport migrants in buses or vans because the terrain is too difficult. So they're making multiple trips in trucks in order to respond to the increase. The massive groups are still coming through the six-mile gap along the Cocopa Reservation, so they cannot legally build any kind of wall there. Border Patrol agents have been referring to this space as the governor's funnel. It does allow for more efficiency when it comes to processing and transporting since it's all in one area. However, it's not acting as a deterrent just yet. Now, I did reach out to the governor's office today specifically about this, these increase in numbers. However, I have not heard back. But in the past, when I've talked to the governor's office, they have told me that they are looking at other places that they would be putting these shipping containers out. As to when and where, Nicole, that will happen, that is still unclear. Yuma Mayor Douglas Nichols says he wants to see the federal government take stronger action. Europe is struggling to contain an energy crisis as Russia throttles back on supplies of natural gas. Officials say it's a pressure game over their support for Ukraine after the Russian invasion. The job now is to conserve energy, line up new supplies, and cushion the impact on the poor who can't afford to pay increasingly higher utility bills. And Europe has made some progress in finding new gas supplies by ship and filling underground gas storage to get through the winter heating season. The goal is to avoid rolling blackouts or widespread shutdowns of energy-intensive industries as the weather gets colder. 
The EU Commissioner for Energy, Kadri Simpson, says the EU is looking at ways to cut all energy bills for consumers. We know that there are peak hours where uh, our households and enterprises are witnessing extreme high hourly prices. And part of this proposal is also um, dealing with peak hours and how to well cut uh, demand at these specific time slots. Simpson says the energy crisis plan to be unveiled next week will include some new investment. Right now, at, uh, at this situation where Russia is using uh, their natural gas supplies as a weapon, we have to well take care of security of supply. And uh, that means that, um, that um, some extraordinary investments are needed. The summer vacation season is starting to wind down. And for airlines, that means the return of business travelers is very important. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House has more. Leisure travel in the United States is roughly back to pre-pandemic levels, but airlines say business is still about 25% below 2019 levels. Business travelers generally pay higher fares, so the absence of so many of them has an outsized impact on airline revenue and profit. The Global Business Travel Association predicts that corporate travel won't fully return until mid-2026. A new Amazon series is being slammed by a big name. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has more on the new look at Middle Earth. Elon Musk is weighing in on the new Amazon series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and it isn't good. On Twitter, Musk said, quote, Tolkien is turning in his grave. Almost every male character so far is a coward, a jerk, or both. Musk isn't alone in his dislike of the most expensive TV series ever created. Amazon paid $250 million for the rights to Tolkien's intellectual property in the hopes of getting his fan base, but it doesn't appear to be working. Reviews of the show were horrible, so much so Amazon suspended user reviews for three days. The general consensus among fans is the show is an offense to Tolkien's original story. One fan said, quote, using names of characters and places from a book do not make this related to Tolkien, end quote. Tasha Stevens reporting. And finally, scientists have been able to create synthetic mouse embryos, and researchers hope that it may one day help families hoping to get pregnant. Scientists have created the world's first synthetic embryos, a groundbreaking feat that has now negated the need for sperm, eggs, and their fertilization. The scientists at the Wiesman Institute in the state of Israel found that stem cells from mice could in fact be made into, into self-assembling embryotic structure. Now, these structures have an intestinal tract, the beginnings of a brain, and also a beating heart. Now, researchers believe that the work could, in fact, reduce animal experimentation in future and pave the way for new sources of cells and tissues for human transplantation. It took about 10 years of research, but scientists have created a synthetic mouse embryo using stem cells. Jacob Hanna, a cell biologist at the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel, says that the research may also prove useful for those in need of organ transplants. We'll be focusing on taking stem cells, uh, skin cells from a patient. Let's say I'm a patient, I need uh, liver cells, and take a biopsy, make stem cells in the dish, grow them in special condition, and put them in this device for about 20 days, and they will make 
organized structure which we call synthetic embryos. And these, they have cell progenitors, including liver progenitors or blood progenitors. And we can take these cells maybe and transplant them back to the patient. For now, researchers have only been able to track about eight days of development in the mouse synthetic embryos. But the process is improving and they're already learning a lot. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.